the book of Romans is like kind of a big deal. I, I heard one pastor say um, he wanted to wait till he was 50 to preach the book of Romans. But, you know, I'm only 37 or 38. I'm not sure my exact age. That's kind of a mystery, too. Um, don't keep track. So, um, you know, this is a, a, a very rich book. And so here at Corner Canyon, we go verse by verse through the Bible. We preach through books of the Bible. Um, and that way uh, we get all of the word of God. Um, and even those, those verses that people want to skip over, we go through it all because we think all of the Bible is, is helpful and grows us in our Christian life. It's all God's word and it's all wonderful to us. And we also have an Old Testament reading because as you'll see, especially from this sermon, both the Old and the New Testament point to Jesus Christ. They're written by the same God, inspired and holy and build us up in our, in our Christian life. So both are just wonderful for us. And so that's why we have both an Old and New Testament reading. And here now is our Old Testament reading from Habakkuk 2.4. Here now, the holy, perfect, inspired word of God. It is without error and it is without blemish. Behold, his soul is puffed up, meaning prideful. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4. Includes our Old Testament reading. And now um, we're only tackling four verses in the book of Romans because this is some, it's very dense. It's got a lot of wonderful truths that just transform our lives. So we're going to go slowly through it to understand just all of God's truth and try to unpack it here this morning. So Romans 1.1, 1, 1, very first verse in our series of the book of Romans. Here now the inspired, authoritative word of God. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That concludes the reading of God's word this morning. Let's pray that God would bless and anoint his, the preaching of his word and that we would love Jesus more and feel the grace of God's truth in our heart. Let's pray. God, um, we come to you this morning knowing that we offer nothing in our hands to you, only to receive your free gift, as you say in this hymn, nothing in our hands that we bring, only to your cross we cling. So Lord, we, we cling to your grace and your mercy. And may people who are struggling with sin, struggling with legalism, doubt and guilt and shame, may they feel free. May they feel like their chains have fallen off this morning. And may your grace overflow them with love for you, Lord. And if there's somebody listening this morning who on the live stream um, or here in person who hasn't received you as their Lord and Savior, who hasn't trusted in you, Lord. May you work in their heart mightily to have them receive you as your Lord and Savior this morning for eternal life. Lord, eternal life is something that no one should put off. It's the most important thing of where we're going to be for all eternity and how we have eternal life through you, Lord Jesus. May you bless this message, bless your word, and it's in Jesus Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen. So, goes without saying, pretty obvious that today in society, we get all sorts of news. 
not only do we have, you know, as we, you know, I'm, I guess I'm called a geriatric millennial, but growing up we had the TV and the newspaper, but uh, now we have everything, iPhones, tablets, smartphones, uh, computers, everything, you know, all the time. We live in this information age. And in fact, I can't even go up here um, with, with my cell phone, not on airplane mode, because random notifications of news will just constantly pop up on my phone. And, I, you know, me, me being one of those people that like to check everything and can't take a break from anything, I'm always looking at them, you know, all the time. Um, and, uh, and usually it's, it's bad news I'm, I'm looking at because that's, according to, a, you go on Google and you type in what's is most news positive or negative, you're going to find that 90% of the news we read today is negative. You could just Google that, just check it out. Um, and it, obviously I think the coronavirus pandemic has definitely made an increase on the negative news and the depressing news cycles going on that we have to read. And it's, it's, it's hard to stop because we as human beings, we are attracted to negativity, right? We see a, a car wreck on the side of the, ro the road and we don't look away, we look at it. Especially if you're like me, that's, that's, that's how human beings are. And I actually heard of one news organization that tried to do positive news for a day and they lost more than 50% of their viewership because it wasn't uh, negative. People love negativity. We're attracted to it. That's why every organization in the world struggles with negative information, gossip. Um, and it's not good for us, but yet we're attracted to it. It's like McDonald's fries. You eat it and you're like, this is a mistake. It tastes good going down. But later on, you're going to find out it's a big mistake. Um, and so the bad news, the bad information, it, it, it hurts people. I've heard I mean, I've heard, I've seen it hurt people the past year. It puts people in a dark place. And this is why I wanted to especially preach on the book of Romans in this season, because the book of Romans is all about the gospel, which gospel means, not bad news, good news. And if you're being honest, um, that's what I need. That's what you need is good news. The Romans, they needed good news too. And Paul wrote this good news to them at 57 AD, he was trying to show, lay out his gospel to uh, the Church of Rome so that he can use that church as kind of a staging ground to do his evangelistic effort and missionary work in Spain. So he, was, he hadn't planted this church, and so Paul was just laying out his gospel in the way that he knew. This is kind of like him laying out all of his doctrine and theology and what, what the scriptures teach to these Romans to show what the gospel is. And so God, and so Paul, through God, through Paul, I guess, gives them, I guess, they definitely did, gave good news, which is that Jesus has come to save you of all of your sins. And this is not just something like that unbelievers or atheists or, you know, people who are lost need to hear. This is something that Christians need to hear. This is something that I need to hear. So when we become Christians, you know, people think, well, you know, okay, you, you go to a, a crusade, a Billy Graham crusade, you hear the gospel. And then you move on and then you start focusing on keeping laws, focusing on the morality of Christianity, and you just forget the gospel. But no, this, this book is proof that we need the gospel constantly. We need to be reminded of it because we forget about God's grace for us. So it's not like we forget about the gospel, but the Christian life is all about growing deeper into the gospel and learning and growing through that. And this is a revolution. This is why I've called the title of this series, The Romans Revolution, because the Christian life, we need to be reminded of the grace of God every day. We need to be reminded because we forget every day. And the book of Romans, by the way, has quite a pedigree 
throughout the history of the uh, Christian church. It's brought revolution, um, transformed lives like you wouldn't believe. Let me just give you just a few examples, and I can give more, but this is just a few. John Christostom, his mother read the book of Romans to him every night, and he became one of the greatest preachers in the early church. Man, that's some commitment right there, reading through the entire book of Romans every night. That mother right there. Um, St. Augustine, he became a major preacher of grace, influenced by, of course, the book of Romans. The Reformation, Martin Luther, uh, ultimately sparked this Reformation uh, through the reading of the book of Romans. John Wesley sparked many great Methodist revivals through uh, the book of Romans, reading it. And it greatly impacted, of course, John Bunyan and William Tyndale. And so this book says truths that really are shocking and amazing. That's why I call it a revolution. And it destroys, it's like a bulldozer to Pharisees and legalistic, you know, religious assumptions. It's like just, just crushes them. And so, you know, this idea that, okay, you really got to work hard, you know, climb that stairway into heaven and really strive to be saved and all these things. Or, you know, you, you know, in order to be a Christian, your whole life has to be together. You have to be living this perfect life. So whenever unbelievers see us fall short in sin, they think, well, you know, you're a Christian. You're supposed to be really, really good all the time. And you, the book of Romans just shatters all of these religious assumptions that the church has and the culture has. And so this, is, this book has actually been described as a bomb, a theological bomb going off um, because of its just powerful truths that brings transformation and love for Christ. This is what um, Robert Capon says. He says, the epistle to the Romans has sat around in the church since the first century like a bomb, taking away the death of religion. And every time it's been picked up, the ear-splitting freedom, and it has gone off with a roar. The only sad thing is that the church as an institution has spent most of its time playing bomb squad and trying to defuse it. For your comfort, though, it can't be done. Your freedom remains as close to you as your life in Jesus and is available to you as your understanding as the nearest copy of the book. Like Augustine, therefore, tolo lege, take and read, and then hold on to your hat. Compared to that explosion, the clap of doom sounds like a cat pistol. Not cat, cap, like a cap gun. Cat pistol. Because it destroys death and sin and it tells us we're free in Christ. And so I'm excited to go through this this encouraging book that we all need in this season. We all need encouragement and uh, to be reminded of God's love and grace for us. So let's start here in verse one. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, and the Greek word there for servant is doulos. It can also be described as slave of Christ Jesus. And so Paul was committing his life to Jesus and to the gospel for God radically saving him by his grace. It says, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So he's set apart for this purpose of preaching the gospel. Now, something he claims here, and I want to get, because I've heard misunderstandings about apostles, the office of apostle. He claims to have the office of apostle here and everything that goes with being an apostle, the authority. So what is an apostle? Because, you know, I've met people that really struggle with what it even is an apostle. What does that even mean biblically? What is an apostle? And an apostle, just to give you a short definition, we'll kind of unpack it, but it's an office in the early church where an individual was sent by Jesus to speak authoritatively for Christ and to establish his church. 
in the first century. That's what an apostle is. And um, that's what all apostles did in the first century, right? Now, what makes someone apostle though? Well, like what are the qualifications for an apostle? I've seen people say all sorts of things about that, but there actually is biblical qualifications laid out for an apostle like Paul in the New Testament. And one of them is just obvious is that you had to be sent by Jesus. You had to be commissioned by Christ himself. You see that in Luke uh, 6.13. It's also recorded in the book of Mark. But yeah, that you're sent and chosen by Jesus. But another one, and this is what one pe people forget. I see people on TV, they claim today that they're apostles. I've heard people say that. But a necessary qualification, and people miss this, for being an apostle is that you had to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You had to see Jesus Christ, not just a vision or like some private experience. You had to see objectively the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not just like a dream. Like you said, well, I dreamed of Jesus last night, so I can be an apostle now, Nate. Well, no, you have to see him in his physical resurrection body. That is a objective qualification here in the scriptures for what makes someone an apostle today. And just to see this, I'll give three verses, but Acts 1, 21 through 22, just briefly looking at this. So one of the men, and this is, you know, Judas dies, and they're going to replace Judas with Matthias here. And so he's laying, the apostles are kind of setting up the qualification for being an apostle. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness and his resurrection must become. There's no quabbles or quibbles about this. This has to be the case. They had to see Jesus as a resurrected Lord. And then Paul confirms this all the more in um, 1 Corinthians 9.1. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Again, emphasizing this is a clear qualification. And... Um, Paul really kind of closes the door if there can be any future apostles today in the church. He closes that door hard in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 7 through 9. Then he appeared in his resurrection body, not just a dream that you have, but his actual resurrection body. He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all. It's the last appearance of the resurrected Christ. It's to Paul. It's to Paul. As to one untimely bore, meaning this, this is like totally last. This, the fact that it even appeared to me is shocking. It's untimely. It's, it's unexpected. He appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So there are no more apostles today because Jesus is not manifesting in his resurrection body to people. He is ascended on high and praying and interceding for us for by his grace and mercy. So he's not a longer appearing unless you're talking about the second coming, then yeah, he's going to appear at the end of time. Um, but we won't need apostles then because we'll all be in heaven. So we're good to go. And so this is why the role of a prophet and apostle is only at the initial founding. There's these offices are only at the initial founding of the Christian church. It's not a perpetual office. It doesn't go on and on and on. And this is what Ephesians 2.20 says. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and the members of the household of God, referring to the church, 
built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so the church is built on this foundation of the apostles and prophets. And not continuing today, it's a once and for all unrepeatable event. You can't build a foundation. Anybody who builds knows this, right? You can't build a foundation on a foundation on a foundation. That makes no logical sense. And so uh, this is why Paul, at the end of his life, doesn't appoint apostles in First and Second Timothy. He appoints elders and deacons, which we have in this church to this day. And so Paul says, he goes on to say, he's set apart for the gospel of God, preaching that gospel of God. And the Greek, uh, more clearly translated to really capture the meaning here, is the gospel from God. The source of the gospel is not in you or from man. The source of the gospel is in God himself. His grace, his love, his mercy. And Jesus is God. So the gospel, its source, its truth, its foundation is not in us. The righteousness of God is not in us. It's outside of us in God himself. And look at uh, verses 2 through 4 to see this is promised here. Which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. Now, it's declared to be, it's not like Jesus became the son of God, but he is, he is declared and appointed in power as the God-man, Jesus being fully God and fully man, is appointed in power until all things reign under his feet. According to the spirit of holiness, that is a kind of a Semitic way to say the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is involved with the resurrection and power of Jesus Christ as a member of the Trinity. Now, when, when Paul says Jesus is promised beforehand through his prophets and holy scriptures, this isn't just some sort of like bald assertion. Like, I'm just going to say that, yeah, you know, I mean, I've heard um, people of different religions say, oh, yeah, you know, this, this is all prophesied and everything. No, Paul is not like one of these religious pretenders that say there's a prophecy that doesn't really come true or is totally vague and not, not apparent. No, this is a, these are prophecies which are clear, obvious, and which we can construct the entire life of, uh, of Jesus from these Old Testament promises and prophecies um, by reading the Old Testament. You can read the Old Testament, look it up, check this out. I'm just going to give you guys 13 things. Um, that we can construct about the life of Jesus. There's like over 40, and you don't have to write these down. Josh Reed is going to put this um, in the live stream, in the, in the chat, so you can go to the YouTube video and see all 13 of these uh, things that we can, we can construct almost everything about Christ from the Old Testament. So Paul's not just making this up. This is found in the Old Testament. One, born of a virgin, that's Isaiah 714, many of you have heard that at Christmas, so you can just know what I'm referencing. Born in Bethlehem, that's Micah 5.2, another Christmas one. Heir of the King of David, that's three. Isaiah 9.7. Called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Bible teaches Jesus. The Old Testament teaches that Jesus is God, Isaiah 7.14. Had a messenger that prepared the way for Christ, John the Baptist, Malachi 3.1. Ministry would begin in Galilee. Very specific there. We start getting really specific. Isaiah 9.2, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Very specific, Zechariah 9.9. Betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's bizarrely, that's very specific. Zechariah 11.12-13, died by the hands and, and feet being pierced. Psalm 22.16, died with criminals. There's a lot in Isaiah 53, let's face it. That's a pretty packed chapter if you want to read like that. It, you read it to people. 
They think it's actually a part of the New Testament. Um, I've seen people use that trick. Died with criminals, Isaiah 53, 12. Died for our sins, Isaiah 53, 5. Lots casted for his clothing, Psalm 22, 18. Came to life after death, Isaiah 53, 10. And that's like maybe 20%. Point is, there's a lot here. And these prophecies are so numerous, so abundant, so obvious, so clear, that this has been crafted into a reason or an argument not like an argument you're, out, you're arguing with somebody you don't you know you're angry or something, but this is a step of reasoning that's used to actually authenticate Christianity as a true religion. This is what's used. It's actually a argument philosophers have written about it, and many of them calculated that the fact that this all happens by chance is like uh, is like more than one chance out of ten million, and that's just that's using conservative numbers. There, there's all these papers on this, but here is just the basic structure of. The argument for Christianity from prophecy, that's how clear it was promised and predicted that Jesus would come as a Christ. One, if the central claim of a religion are supported by fulfilled prophecies, that is strong evidence for the truth of that religion. The central claims of Christianity are supported by fulfilled prophecies. So therefore, conclusion, fulfilled prophecies are strong evidence for the truth of Christianity, especially when you consider the fact that no other religion has this kind of unique and evidence supporting it. And the early church used this as an argument to prove that Jesus was a Christ. In the book of Acts, Acts 18, Apollos uses this as an argument to demonstrate it. So Christians use this reason ever since the first century. And you check out this reason, and it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. But the overall point that Paul is stressing here is that this is not a new gospel, but it is an old gospel. It's not like there's like two different gospels or two different ways of salvation. I've heard people say, you know, Old Testament, that's all law, you know, and New Testament, it's all like fluffy, grace, Barney dinosaurs, you know. I've heard people say stuff like that. No, no, it's the same gospel of grace through Old Testament and New Testament. And it points, the Old Testament, this is the way I like to think about it. The Old Testament points forward to Christ. The New Testament points backwards to Christ. So I'm talking about the gospel so how are we defining this exactly? What precisely is the gospel? We want to know what the good news is. It's like not only important for people coming to salvation and know who the gospel is, but it's good for us as Christians to know what the gospel is, since Paul is writing not to atheists, but Christians here in Romans. And I want to read Romans 1, 1 through 4 with particular special attention to, to what, what the gospel is. And we, we see it, and we may have skipped over, but I want to just draw attention to it. Romans 1.1, 1, 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And then you have verse 2, which just talks about Jesus being promised beforehand. But look, it, it, the actual way that it reads, likely in Greek, is the gospel of God concerning his son. The gospel from God concerning Jesus, his life and his death and everything. And so that's, what the gospel is, it's, a, it's the gospel outside of us in Christ. It's Jesus. It's God in the person of his son taking on human flesh, uh, living a human life, dying for our sins, and then coming to new life through his resurrection. You might be thinking, well, what does it have to do with me? How is that good news? What does the life and death of Jesus have to do with us as Christians today? Well, Jesus had to take on human flesh, not just to die for our sins, but for a, a specific purpose, namely 
that he could live the righteous life we could never live, and that he could also die for our sins which we've committed. And this is how Paul describes the benefits of Christ's life in Romans 5.19. This is a part of his gospel here, describing it. Adam bringing us to sin. So, for as by the one man's disobedience, that refers to Adam, the many were made sinners. So by one, one man's obedience, that's Jesus, Jesus never sins, the many will be made righteous. So, one man plunges the whole human race into sin by his unrighteous life. Another man comes by his righteous life to bring salvation and righteousness to all who believe in him. We see that it's this gift of righteousness comes by that, by believing, trusting, and receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we see this in Romans 1, 16 through 17, which just was used by Martin Luther to really spark the Reformation and to get grace back into the church in a powerful way. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness from God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So it is by faith and faith alone that we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. As the expression goes, the righteous shall live by, by faith. And this is, uh, comes from the book of Habakkuk that we read for Old Testament reading. But this phrase from, from uh, Habakkuk comes and is used by Paul to indicate he's talking about the gospel. He uses it in his letters to talk about, hey, it's gospel time. The righteous shall live by faith. He really builds it off the Old Testament. And you see this really clearly in the book of Galatians where we see that it's not by us being perfect that we're saved, but by Jesus dying for us and being perfect for us. And he says, the righteous shall live by faith, indicating that is what the gospel is all about. Uh, Galatians 10, so it says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. That doesn't sound good. All who are trying to work for their salvation, they're under a curse because they're not perfect as what God's standard is. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all of the things. God's standard is not you know, on a curve, it's perfection. All of the things written in the book of the lot and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law because no one's perfect. For the righteous shall live by faith. That's the gospel. You see, he uses the same exact phrase in Greek and you can see it in English that he uses in Romans 1. This is the gospel. But the law is not of faith. The law is distinct from the gospel. The one who does them shall live by them. Christ, that's the law. Christ redeem us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So the gospel expression that the righteous shall live by faith is something that means we should not try to work for our salvation by keeping laws, by obeying ordinances. That's not how it's done. It's by trusting in Jesus and his obedience to laws and ordinances for us. The gospel does not mean being worthy for God. As some people have tried to understand the way it means, Jesus died for all of your unworthiness and was worthy in your place. You know, if you leave a sermon thinking that all the Christian life is all about what would Jesus do rather than what Jesus has done, then the gospel has not been preached. Salvation is not inside of you. It's not based on trying, striving, doing, working, but it is outside of you, objectively in Christ, striving and working in your place. 
so that all you have to do is rest in him. His burden and yoke are light and easy. You have to rest in him. And as I said, the gospel, I've said this, but the gospel means good news. I want to ask you a question this morning. I want you to think about this, honestly. If someone uh, says they have really good news and they say this to you, here's the good news. Here it is. Okay, in order for you to be saved and go to heaven, what you need to do is you got to believe, you got to repent, you got to be baptized, you got to follow all these laws and all these ordinances until finally you are worthy enough and perfect enough to enter into heaven. So no unclean can think and be before the Lord, so you got to get worthy enough to get before the Lord. Now, I want to ask you this really, this, be honest here. Is that really good news? No, that's horrible, terrible news. And just hearing that gives me like an anxiety attack, you know? It makes me want to bite my nails and pace the floor at 3 a.m. Wondering if I've done everything I could do. Wondering if I've done enough to be good and worthy. And I know deep down inside I haven't, you haven't. No one has, except Jesus. But you know, when we, we do know what good news is when we hear it, don't we? We just intuitively know it. We are immediately have this sense of comfort, you know? And um, everything feels like lighter and, and happier. There isn't this like heavy sadness. It, it makes you want to sigh for relief. So what sounds like good news to you? Jesus was worthy for you. All you have to do is receive Christ, and he is worthy for you. All the righteousness you have is in Christ, and it's nothing you do. It's just by receiving Christ, resting in Jesus by faith alone. All your debts have been paid and cleaned and wiped. Everything you've ever done bad has been wiped and forgiven in the blood of Christ, and you have eternal life, this eternal gift. That's really good. Or how about this? You have to be really good and worthy. to get. you got to be a really good boy and girl to get in. You got to try, you got to do everything right to get into heaven. That's, that's, that's what the gospel is. Well, obviously, the first one is good news. That makes me like, you know, make me feel like my chains are gone. All my burdens and guilt and shame have been lifted. When I hear that, I feel relieved, I feel restored. I actually have hope when I hear that gospel message. But it, if me trying to be worthy and good in order to get into heaven, if that's what it is, if that's what the gospel is, that's what the good news is. And I, I have nothing. I have uh, never even known if I have ever done anything enough to be worthy. I mean, gosh, you know, I mean, I mean, who would even think that? I mean, that you could do enough to be worthy. I mean, that. How do you know you've done enough? I mean, when, when do you reach that point? I mean, gosh, the anxiety and the stress has got to be like building there. And um, what makes it worse, much worse, I would say, is that every day, every minute, I am faced with the brutal and obvious reality that I'm not perfect. I'm completely sinful. I fall short constantly. Um, I, was, um, reading the ser- I was reading the sermon last night at midnight because, you know, I, I, I do weird things like that. My wife was being a studious wife, doing cleaning everything. And I, was re- I just started crying while I was reading my own sermon. 
And, um, you know, this is evident, like, how sinful I am. She's like, are you crying? And me, I'm, like, trying to be tough. You know, no, I'm not crying. And I lied. And so all of a sudden, I'm like, I just lied to my, I'm getting ready to do sermon prep. And I lied to my wife about whether I'm crying so I can be macho enough. And I'm sitting while I'm reading my own sermon. So I then confessed. I said, yes, yes, I, I, I have been crying while reading my sermon, you know. And she's like, well, you lied to me. I'm like, yeah, I did, you know. Well, actually, it wasn't like, I'm lying about that. I was like, well, you know, I was waiting. And maybe it was like, no, I, yeah, I lied, yeah. Um, so I'm not alone in this. You're like this too. You're not alone. I'm, we're not alone. Even Paul admits this in the Bible. He says this, the apostle Paul who turned the world upside down by preaching the gospel of grace, preached, he did evangelism, established churches. He admits that he's a sinful train wreck just like us. Look at Romans uh, 7, 24, 25 to really see this. I mean, this is, comes at you pretty quick. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul presently calls himself wretched man that I am, and then he goes on to thank Jesus for saving him. So this is why Christians desperately need to hear the gospel, because I sin every day. So we need to be, we need to be encouraged of God's grace and love for us every day, which is displayed in the gospel of grace. Now you might say, well, you know, Nate, um, this, was, this was earlier in, in Paul's life, much earlier. So, you know, I'm sure as he got older and progressed more, you know, um, he probably got better. You know, he probably started saying, you know, I'm just doing everything great. And so I'm no longer this wretched man that I am. I'm a really, you know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough and doggone it. People like, I'm just a terrific piece of meat here, you know, kind of thing. You know, maybe as he got older, he really started, you know, flexing at the end of his life. But you see, the problem is Paul actually explicitly just straight up denies that. I mean, um, the apostle Paul, now an old man, who is now, he's fading and re ready to meet Jesus. This is what he says at the end of his life. At 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, the chief of sinners. And by the way, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. We know that. We can translate it. We know what it means. Uh, I read Greek. Um, and the I am the foremost is in present tense in the Greek, meaning he is saying presently I am the worst guy I know. Presently, I am the chief of sinners because he knows himself. I mean, you know, if we were to just take one day of your life and then play it up on this screen and everything you've thought for that entire day, you'd never come back to this church. And you know it's true. It's obviously true because we know ourselves and we know inside we are, we are messed up. We are broken. And so if someone says to you, oh, you know, this kind of checklist Christianity, oh, the gospel is keeping a checklist of do's and don'ts, laws and ordinances, then the question always has to be is how is that really good news? That's the scariest news ever, if we're really being honest. It's crippling. It's impossible to do. The only thing you can do to, like, survive in such a system like that is to fake it until you make it. Or you don't even make it. You're just faking it, I guess. You're not even making it. You're just faking it. And to pretend like you're just keeping everything, even though 
Your wife, your kids, and people that know you really well know that you're not. And to fake it, you see, this is good news. Jesus kept every rule, every law, every checklist for you. Salvation and eternal life is not found in you. It is not found in you trying and striving, but it is squarely located outside of you in Jesus trying and striving for you. Heaven is earned by someone else other than you. It is earned in God in Christ. So that all the glory, all the praise, this is why we're here worshiping God because of the gospel. It's all God and we worship and we praise him. It's not by your blood, sweat, and tears. It's by Jesus's. You are not the hero. Jesus is a hero for you. You are not worthy. Jesus is worthy for you. You are not good. Jesus is good for you. The gospel is all about Jesus Christ and not about us. And that actually, if you're being honest, ends up being the best news, like, quite frankly, ever. And we don't grow beyond the gospel. We grow deeper and deeper into this gospel, in this truth. We have to remind ourselves every day of the grace that Jesus has, the love he has for us, because every day we fall short and insecure, neurotic thoughts come up. Well, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe God doesn't love me. We need to be reminded that salvation is not in us, it's outside of us, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that is a revolution, quite frankly. Gospel-centered living is all found in the book of Romans. It's a beautiful book that's going to display this magnificent journey of grace that we're going to go down together here. I do want to close with a quote that really captures this kind of thinking that... uh, obviously inspired the Reformation and inspired Wesley and others. And it's a beautiful thing. And this actually comes from the old Martin Luther. You can get it on YouTube for free, by the way. It's, it's, it's a lot of those old black and white movies are, are, um, are free on YouTube. It's kind of cool. But this movie, is, it's over 60 years old, but it's got some just killer lines, beautiful lines. And here's one of them that captures the, the revolution that is found in the book of Romans. And this is just Martin Luther, just for context, he's dialoguing with a priest who thinks that salvation is by keeping the rules to get to heaven. He's kind of like a Pharisee. And so this is how the dialogue goes in Luther and this priest who has this very workspace, Pharisee kind of mindset. He says, Luther says, by faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself, be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchases of pardon for his sin, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. The priest responds, Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works and all these glorious things that you dismiss as mere crutches, What will you put in their place? Martin Luther responds, Christ. Man only needs Christ. And that right there is the the very heart of the gospel. It's the work, the person work of Jesus Christ alone. And if you have not received that gift this morning, then what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? This is the best news ever. All you have to do is rest and trust in Jesus Christ and him alone. 
Why wait? Why procrastinate? Why hold off anything and embracing the greatest news in all of history, the news that has transformed the entire world? That you are completely saved, forgiven, accepted, loved, and cherished in Christ forever, and nothing can separate you from his love and mercy because it's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. And if you have any more questions uh, about how to accept Christ, or, or trust in Jesus, and you need someone to pray with you or talk to you about it, just either talk to me after the service, talk to uh, Johnny or Jacob who did announcements. Uh, also, Heather, I'm sure, would be willing to talk to you as well. Um, so let us pray and pray that God would work in our hearts as we reflect on his magnificent grace, his death and his life through communion. Gracious God, we are so thankful that we are saved by your blood, by your righteousness, because in us we don't have righteousness. Our best works, as the prophet Isaiah says, are filthy rags. And if we're being honest, our best days are a mess. We need you every hour. Lord, we need to be set free every single day because sin and shame enters into our heart. Lord, and so I ask that any, if anybody is here and they need to be set free from shame, from guilt, from lack of love, being not cherished, Lord, we pray that you would open their heart to trust and receive you as Lord and Savior. As the gospel tells us that we are far more messed up, broken than we could ever imagine, but we're far more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we could ever dream or ever hope for. Jesus.